to me, a really successful person looks healthy and fit and they have time to take care of themselves and they look clear headed and they're calm. And yes, their business supports their life, but they have free time. And I'm telling you those first couple of years I was in business, a heroin addict looked better than I did because I was just <laughs> constantly without sleep. I was eating only things that I could have in my left hand while I typed with my right answering emails. Like I stopped eating healthy. Like I always did who could exercise. I was just trying not to throw up half the time. I was so fatigued, right? It was just nuts. And so really what is success to me? Success breathes a certain kind of life and you look and feel successful. And it, it's just a whole energy around you. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm gonna choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that at any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. If you want to do something big in your life, one of the key factors is how you use the valuable minutes you're given. Or, as our guest today will share, what you do with the key hours in your life. Chris Ward has made it her mission to help others leverage their most valuable resource which we all know is our time. When you can master your time, guess what? Possibilities open up. In fact, what seems impossible can become possible. Chris is the founder of Win the Hour, Win the Day, both the philosophy and the book of which she is the author. And today we're going to learn some of the concepts from her book that may surprise you, that may make you shift your thinking when it comes to how you process this idea of time management, which is a topic I love. So we're going to go deep into this topic. Her journey into the world of productivity started with her own business and was accelerated after a life-changing event, which we'll learn about in just a minute. But first, Chris Ward, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Billy. I'm pumped to be here. I'm pumped too. Well, let's get started with the story of what event accelerated your mission to help other people maximize that precious resource that I just talked about. Yeah, I'm really obsessed about this. I'm all about that your business should support your life, not consume it. So when I started my business 12 plus years ago as a marketing strategist, I worked day and night the first couple of years. My husband said I was always stealing from sleep, getting up earlier and earlier and staying later and later. And I was told about the two-year mark that I was starting to lose some of my charm. <laughs> and so I realized that the people that were cheering me on the most that were around me, you know, you're becoming very short with them and you're exhausted because you haven't, I hadn't slept in really two years. So 
what happened was, you know what, I made some significant changes and I literally went from working 16 hours a day down to six. Now this did not happen overnight. This is a whole story on its own, but to move this story forward, you need to know that part. And luckily that happened because it was a couple of years after that, that my husband had been diagnosed with colon cancer and I was pulled away from the business for about two years. And when I returned after his passing, my existing clients had no idea of my absence. The local business community didn't know. It was just not how we navigated his journey. We were very positive in nature. And so then people started to approach me and say, like, how could we have not known that you were away? And if you could do that, maybe you could help us get to our kids' soccer games. And so I started to work with them under that capacity. And very quickly, I realized that a lot of these people looked really great on paper and they were in business five, 10 years, but they were still working way too many hours for this point in their journey. And so that's where I started with the book, When the Hour, When the Day, so I can reach more people. And we started the winner's circle where you get 25 hours back a week within the first month of working with us, because I believe that business should be fun and it should support your life, not consume it. I couldn't agree more. And I relate to your story in that my mother, my mother got colon cancer when she was 41. Fortunately, she found it early enough and we have a family history of colon cancer. And then this past year, oh, just about six months ago, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. So it really does help to put everything in perspective. It's hard. And I can't imagine going through the loss that you've gone through. Fortunately, my wife caught it early and we're hopeful that Things will work out well, but you never know. And life is full of curveballs and surprises that you're often unprepared for. In your case, you had done the legwork to position yourself so that the business could still survive in your absence. And we're going to talk a little bit about what you did to build that. To kick us off, we have a mutual love of this book, The E-Myth, which is probably my favorite business book of all time. Curious, what elements from that book have impacted you the most and why? Yeah, I think that was one of the most memorable books I read in the beginning. And it really, you know, it's been a long time since I reread it. And I try not to do these things because sometimes you go back and you go, ah, <laughs> it was sort of don't meet your heroes type thing. But my memory of it too was really the philosophy of, do you want to be the baker in the basement, grinding it out, getting up four o'clock in the morning, baking your little heart out because you love baking, that's great. Or do you want to be the person that works part-time and owns six bakeries? Now, you could still be a baker that owns bakeries. You don't have to be the cold, imposing business person that you know is always painted and is a villain in the stories. But there's two different lifestyles there. And we started, so many people started this journey for freedom. Or if you meet somebody that's new and they're starting their business new, my favorite thing, they'll say, oh, you know, I wanted to spend more time with my family. So I thought I would work for myself. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> you just, <laughs> you know, so we had this idea and then it gets squashed so quickly and you just become this obsession of trying to breathe life into this thing. So I think it's just so powerfully important to remember you had a job that you may or may not have liked or didn't like as much as this, but it sure as heck would have been better hours. There's laws and government that protect you from working insane hours that you would put yourself through. So this better have a bigger playoff of freedom of choice in your business and your life. Mm, such a great point. And I love that you brought that up in, in that way. And that was the a big takeaway for me as well. And part of that is being able to remove yourself from trying to do it all. And that happens when you're able to build a team. In a minute, we're going to talk about 
why you focus on the hour and the key hours of the day. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about team building. What are some of the maybe biggest myths people have about building teams? And what are some of the suggestions that you think would help someone who is trying to not just be the baker, but own bakeries as they do their own team building? Yeah. So there's a couple, and this is a really powerfully important conversation, Billy. I love that you're bringing this up. First of all, one of the things that I struggled with for years was thinking that when I got to a certain level, that's when I would start my team. And it's like climbing up the mountain. You're not going to get up the mountain without a team. So I had this idea that was a certain amount of success or income or whatever. And what I would tell you is you're just never going to get anywhere you want to without building a team. You're not an entrepreneur, you're a sufferpreneur by yourself. That's just it. (laughs) And for me, a quick story was many years ago when I was still doing physical appointments, because I went online, did Skype appointments long before Zoom was even invented. But when I was going out and I would meet with these clients, potential clients, what would happen is I would take notes, I would come back to the office, I would put hand to God, Billy, that when I got back, I would write the notes into the file because these are bigger projects. It would take them a week or so to decide. And more often than not, I didn't get the notes into not only this Friday, but sometimes next Friday. And that's weighing on me. And they might call to ask questions. And now I've got these half scribbled notes that were meant for 20 minutes, not two weeks. And so, <laughs> you know, I could make a mistake and it looked like I'm trying to rip them off. No, no, I'm just, you know, scrambling as I do all the time. And so I thought there's got to be another way. And this was the turning point. What this means for you is how you can really change your life and your business by starting to build your team. And my first outsourcer that I hired was at this time was a transcriptionist. Now you don't even need that. But I had someone, I don't understand this, but she loved doing this and she had like 10 clients. So she was really super fast. So some weeks when I had a lot of meetings, it cost me like $12. And the weeks I didn't have any meetings, it cost me nothing. And that's when I was like, oh my gosh, that gave me all of Friday afternoon back. It was insane. And I would argue that if you think you can't afford help, then you really need help. Mm, Yeah, that's a hundred percent. And I love that you took something that you knew was taking a lot of your time. And then where you're able to condense the amount of time you need to spend on something by hiring somebody at a very nominal fee. What maybe is a common mistake somebody makes when they start this path to build a team, what's a pitfall or perhaps a landmine that they want to avoid in the whole team building? You asked some really thoughtful questions. So there's a couple of them. So first of all, what I would tell you is delegating. I do not believe in delegating. Delegating is a lateral move at best. It means that the work has to come through you. And so often what happens is you hire someone and then you check on their work like a parent to a child, a teacher, to a student. The reason you do that is the parentified role is strong out there in the corporate world. It's how you were an employee. It's how it's done. And then what happens is you create a whole new position as a manager that you didn't have time for. You're already short on time. So that is upside down. When we set up our clients in the Warner Circle, one of the features we do offer them is to help them find, train, and hire and on board for them. And what we're always doing with my team and their teams is we're setting it up so that they work independently. And if anything, they manage you, but they definitely can take courses for you. They can do all these things. And that's on the backbone of what we call our super toolkits, which are systems and processes, as my clients say in the Warner Circle, they're systems and processes on steroids because regular systems and processes you know, are usually written not by the end user, they're static in nature, and they're just there to cover liability. So being set up with some basic infrastructure, which 
Don't wait on that either to hire because you could just be clicking loom button while you're doing the work you have to do anyhow. And then somebody can write up the steps. This is not a waiting game. This is get your time back now. Mm. It's such a great point because we delegate or we assume we should delegate, but then what ends up happening is now we're a project manager. And being a project manager means that we're going to have to be super involved. I love the, you flipped it on its head by saying they manage you. Give us a couple tips on how you can do that. I understand you have the super toolkits and things of that nature. What might be a couple quick hits that would help somebody get started to find somebody that will manage them as opposed to the other way around? Well, that's a loaded question because there's a lot to that answer. So to finding somebody is one thing. So I've been doing this a really long time now. So we've got about a 95% retention rate on this. And you know, when we hire somebody at, for one of our clients in the winner's circle, we put them through a very 12-point process. Now in that process, there's what I call the PASS, P-A-S-S. So we look for personality, action, strength, and success. And so we always hire personality over skill set because you can train a skill set, you can't train a personality, right? So we're looking for something eager and awake and ambitious and all that. And, and you, you can tell, right? So there's that. Then we look for actions. There's little micro things that I do when I'm interviewing. So for example, I will do a batch interview with like 15 people and I will do a 15 second interview. When you hop on the call, I say, hey, Billy, it's great to see you. So this is a quick interview to see if you make it to the main interview. Can you tell me why you think you're a good fit for this job? And you can tell right away when there's substance and people answer and there's like, well, yes, I have experience in doing this and marketing, blah, blah. Or when other people say, well, according to your job post, you know, I have all the qualities and I really care about people. And it's like, ah, (laughs) there's no substance there, right? And you can also tell how they show up. Do they look professional? There's just so much there. And so that's the personality part. And I'm sorry, that's the action part is I can really, let me back up. I'm overexcited about your answer. In that step, if somebody is successful and I want them to go to the next stage, the action will be, I will give them a different email than the one they had. And in this process, I have a bunch of little micro actions and tests to see if they follow directives. And I may Mm. even tell them, Hey, this is a different email than you currently have. I want you to follow up with me after this interview and say, Chris, you told me to follow up with you. And you'd be surprised how many people would just use the other email they had from the job post because it comes up automatically. Well, you're letting me know you don't pay attention to detail, right? And then there's the regular question that we, everybody gets, what are your strengths? That's fine. They should be able to articulate that by now. But here's something very telling as well. I always ask the last S pass is what, what is something lately that you deemed as a success? And you can tell a lot by a person by what they deem a success. And sometimes it's entertaining. Sometimes people will tell you, you know, this guy cut me off in the road today. And usually I holler and yell at him and go crazy. But I held it together today. <laughs> You're like, wow, excellent. Good for you. Progress is wonderful. That's amazing. Well, and what a great framework. And it does come back to this idea of hiring the right people to begin with. Because if you hire the wrong people, your job becomes so much more difficult to help them be their best when they're already at a deficit. I remember distinctly back in the day when I would hire people, believe it or not, through Craigslist. And what's funny is I would have them leave a voicemail as the first line of defense. Mm. And what I found out very quickly is tone of voice, energy level, how they present themselves, how they articulate, whatever. And I asked them the exact question, 
why would you be a great fit for this role? I explained the role yeah. very clearly, what's required, what makes someone successful in this role. And then I'd want them to tell me why they'd be successful. And the beautiful thing about this is now it's kind of a, a sorting exercise. I can have 15, 20, 30 people and four people might impress me in that voicemail. And so I now can go to those four people and have a more in-depth interview. So let's talk a little bit about, now we have, let's just assume we have this team Mm -hmm. and we can talk about that endlessly. There's so much there, but we have a lot of ground to cover. And one of the things that I really, really love about your philosophy and what you help people do is this idea to execute quickly. So if you're able to execute your ideas fast, it allows you to implement whatever it is you're thinking very rapidly. And speed of implementation can make or break the success of a business. Why is that so important and how do you do it? Well, because all you are as an entrepreneur is your ability to get your ideas to execution. That's it. That's what makes anything a success in business. When you look at somebody, if you've got a little professional jealousy, you see somebody online that's going where you want to be and all that stuff, it's just they're getting their ideas to execution quicker than you. That's it. No shortage of ideas, but it's the execution that wins the game. So you really want to be able to do that. So with us, when we have our super toolkits, our systems and processes, the whole concept there is we believe in the win formula. We believe you should be in execution mode 60% of the time and in mid mode only 40% of the time because there is always going to be the next thing. So you have to always have the ability to compress your work and not just my work, but my team's work. So when I go from writing my book to then starting my podcast where we just talk about general business, you know, anything from sales to social media, guess what? There was a whole push on the book launch. Okay, now we're launching the podcast and it's creating more work. And now we're moving on to TikTok and now we're enhancing the winner's circle. So there's always going to be that next thing. So the team and I have to be able to compress the work so we have the bandwidth to get to the next thing. That's why it's a business, not a job, because we're always climbing that next mountain. All you do, you know that, you know, all you do is it changes the landscape. You're like, oh, I thought I wanted to be here. Now I just see, oh, I really want to be over there now too, right? So that's the whole thing is, and also I'm a big proponent of having a really clear headed mind that you start the workday refreshed and you leave fresh because creativity and all that stuff is not in play when you're hopping around, scrambling, doing all these different things and juggling. That's not where great ideas come from. All the amazing inventions in the history of humankind were done at times of relaxation and play. So we just want to have that room so that we can get ideas to execution, ideas to execution. And that really is built on the backbone, the framework of what we call our super toolkits, what everyone really is the compressor of your workflow and able to get you to more and more success. Well, you've highlighted something that on this show we talk about a lot, which is this idea of putting yourself in position to have the insights, to have those moments of epiphany, the aha moment. And this only happens when your prefrontal cortex is given the opportunity to have some space because our prefrontal cortex is that decision-making part of our brain that's constantly overloaded, having to think of this or that or decision of this or decision of that. And this problem solving is ongoing 24-7 in some cases because we don't give ourselves the breathing room. One of the things you highlight, which I love this philosophy is have your work be like school hours, right? Like keep it to that because then you give yourself that space, which I'm curious about that. But, but more specifically, 
energy level and win the hour, win the day. Let's talk a little bit about that because really at its core, I think it comes down to understanding when we are in the right mode energetically to be doing the things that we should be doing at the right time of the day, which I'm a big believer in. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, but first I'd like to compliment you. Give a thorough interview. You're picking up things that I know that I, you know, said here and said there, but they weren't all dumped in one spot. So you you do your homework well. So what Thank you. Uh, what I one of the things I talk about a lot too that no one out there is talking about at all is really mapping out your you're right. I mean, think about your energy in your personal life. Like sometimes like on a Friday night, you might decide to do something like, oh, you know what, I'm gonna clean the car out because I'm tired and I just gotta vacuum it's whatever. You're not gonna decide to do in-depth taxes at 8:30 Friday night. You just go, no, I don't have the brain with or bandwidth for that, right? So what happens is you want to set yourself up for success energy-wise. And here's the thing. You want to do the work that requires the most focus or attention the first hour of work in the morning. And so many people waste that on emails. And what happens is you wear your brain down in decision fatigue and attention residue, and you just burn yourself out super quickly. It's kind of like taking your recharge phone and then just opening up like 25 apps and you're just going to start to burn on that battery, right? So the first hour of the day is when you want to do the stuff that requires the most attention or focus. And that really allows you to execute any plan that you have in play. And then you can build on top of that. So for the example, when I wrote my book, I had to do that the first hour of every day because it would be very easy to say, I'll do that at three o'clock and then, oh, something came up and, oh, look, we got a new client. Well, that's a good excuse. Boom, 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 right? And so then he slides off to the next day and the next day. So two things I would tell you is the first hour of the day is golden. And I'm not a proponent of getting up some crazy ass hour or doing any like that, right? I wake up when I I get up when I wake up. Now, sometimes it's between six and seven 30. I work out, I do whatever. Most of the time I don't start work till 10, but I'm not this four or 5 AM thing. I'm just saying the first hour you start work is your golden hour. And If you think, no, Chris, I work better at night, I would argue that's fear-based. You just think when you get everything off your desk, now it's clear, now you can focus. Science does not back up your argument. The other thing I would tell you, Billy, which is another thing people don't talk about, is I often talk about working backwards. So we do this in our personal life. Again, you might say, you know what? I have to be the dentist on Thursday at 11. Okay, it's an hour away. I got to leave at 10. And then I got to do this with drop the kids off. And plus, I want to work. So you might realize you have to get up at seven to be somewhere at 11, right? So mm-hmm. with my book, what I did was I realized that it needed to be to the editors by June or she couldn't do it till September. And so I did the math. And the amount of pages I was going to write, I looked and said, okay, I have to do five pages per day, Monday to Friday to get this book done. Because I worked backwards, I did the math. So some days I think, oh my gosh, I don't have it in me. I don't, but you know what? If I didn't have the math, what I would say is, you know what? I'm going to do that tomorrow and I'm tired today. And tomorrow the pages will fly off like magic. You know, it'd be amazing. But A, I had to admit first thing in the morning, I wasn't going to do it. So that was painful. And I, I couldn't just push it off subconsciously and hope it disappeared. Two, I'd have to realize, huh, if I don't have five pages in me today, I probably won't have 10 in me tomorrow. So that sobered me up. (laughs) And so (laughs) those are two big things that no one addresses. You just dive in like a crazy person, go as fast as you can, which I thought speed was my superhero, but I'm a recovering Russiaholic. And it just doesn't get you anywhere. Plus you think about this. I mean, I came from corporate, like a lot of people started my own business. And when you leave corporate, 
you have been indoctrinated into this most of the time email culture where it's speed to response. Your first thing is to check your email so that you can look busy, look like you're attentive and you're doing your job, but it creates a pattern and you're conditioning the wrong behaviors. When in reality, we should be focused in the beginning of the day on those things that require more of our energy, more of our high level of focus. And I think taking inventory of what it is that is most important to you will help to zero in on the things that you should be focused on. So if writing a book is important, and that was a great example, reverse engineer your way to get there by knowing one bite at a time, right? Five pages a day. It's like this month, I'm in a challenge where we're doing 3,000 push-ups over a 30-day period. If I waited till the end, I would struggle. (laughs) So you got to do a little bit, but 100 a day, yeah, it's still hard, but it's not as hard. So one of the things you talk about, and and I'm going to give two sort of polarizing things here in a way, because I want to draw the distinction. You talk about you don't necessarily need to be disciplined. No. And I want to hear you talk about that. But on on the kind of the, I guess the flip side of that, you're a believer as am I, I'm big on this in calendar blocking. And I've -hmm. I've taught time management in in the past at at Tesla and SolarCity. And it was a very important part of what we would help people with was dividing your time into blocks. So can you talk a little bit about A, the discipline piece and why that may be a a misconception on that being important? And then two, what about calendar blocking? Why is that important? So the problem with discipline is it actually erodes your energy. So it works against you. It takes up physical brain power. It fatigues the body. It makes you make poorer decisions. There's all kinds of science and studies to show that, right? So white knuckling it and discipline is not only not the key to success, it works against your success. So, you know, I can bore you with all kinds of interesting studies in that, but that's the problem with that. You can't rely on it. And in fact, it wears you down. That's the biggest problem. With the calendar blocking, my big thing about that is, and this is very interesting, so many people will put outside appointments on their calendar, but they don't put their own work on the calendar. And they'll say to me, well, Chris, I do that every day. I don't need to be reminded of that. I know that. But here's the problem. First of all, you can't improve what you don't measure. But secondly, that likens itself to saying, well, Chris, you know what? My car payment comes out of my bank account every month. I don't count that. I know it comes out. But the money's gone, (laughs) right? And so too is that time on your calendar. So you're not putting work down that you do every day, like even emails and stuff like that. And so what happens is you fall into the day thinking you might have eight hours when in fact, maybe you have five. And so you are at a deficit and a loss and you are off track right from the beginning and wondering, you know, as you go faster and faster, why you're not able to catch up. So you don't know where you are. I mean, where you're going, it just doesn't work. I mean, any successful high achiever, they use their calendar like a time bank account. They do not run off a to-do list. Mm. And I love when we take ideas that are conventional wisdom and turn them on their head and maybe say, hey, you know what? Maybe this isn't the right way to think about it. I especially love how in your book, you make the distinction between people who suffer and people who are successful. Yeah. Specifically, Successful people. Yeah. Yeah. Strugglers, right? The people that are struggling and suffering through life and successful people are accountable for each hour of the day. Successful people are accountable for each hour of the day. And I think this is such a brilliant way to remember why our hours are so important. And and I think calendar blocking helps with that. It's not just for an external appointment. It's also for the internal work that we're doing on whatever it may 
it is that we need to be doing. So the GPS for success, right? It's like, I love that the, the you pinpointed in that way. Why do you think it's so important to watch successful people, obviously? And what tips do you have to make sure you're watching the right people do the right things? Because you could also be misguided. Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I guess to me, you just want to be looking at people where you, you know, not sometimes people get confused with what results are we measuring, right? So it's like somebody gave me a little bit of pushback on a video that I had online. I was talking about successful people and I call myself a recovering rushaholic because I always just thought going faster and faster, A, didn't make me fun to be around. And my husband used to say, you're speeding up again. <laughs> it's like, everybody go fast. But what results are we really measuring? Because somebody gave me, you know, they're like, well, you know what? Elon Musk works insane hours and he's really successful. And I'm like, well, the people I work with, they're looking for freedom of lifestyle and they would sooner have Friday and Saturday, Sunday off with their family than to be making an extra couple million dollars. So what are we measuring? It's not just all about money. It's freedom to me means freedom lifestyle. You know what? Somebody called me, not a big deal. I'm going to take Friday afternoon because they're in town. So we get confused by just measuring money. And I'm not talking about having freedom in your calendar and being broke, but I am talking about where does one begin and end? So that's a big deal of just taking a look at, I do the, you know what, as I mentioned this in the book too, to me, a really successful person looks healthy and fit and they have time to take care of themselves and they look clear headed and they're calm. And yes, their business supports their life, but they have free time. And I'm telling you, those first couple of years I was in business, a heroin addict looked better than I did because I was just constantly without sleep. I was eating only things that I could have in my left hand while I typed with my right answering emails. Like I stopped eating healthy like I always did. Who could exercise? I was just trying not to throw up half the time. I was so fatigued, right? It was just nuts. And so really, what is success? To me, success breathes a certain kind of life and you look and feel successful and it, it's just a whole energy around you. Mm, it's such a great point. And I relate big time as an entrepreneur and especially leaving corporate and starting my own business. There's been times where, what did I compromise? What did I sacrifice? It was my own personal well-being. It was my health. You know, not sleeping, eating the wrong foods, not getting the exercise. And yes, it shows up. The other thing, I was just at a conference, at a, at a Mind Valley conference, and they had an expert on feng shui and especially your workspace. So if you have a, a cluttered, sort of workspace that's just, it weighs on you. It puts so much mental weight on your brain that you're having to think, oh, I got to go do this and do that. And it's just, it doesn't make you feel good. You want to be in the right mindset to do amazing things, right? To put yourself in position to change the world, you have to be able to do the little things in your own life all around you. So I'm going to go into a bit of a lightning round. I'm going to say like a okay. topic or a word, and I'd love your just immediate gut reaction. Some of this stuff comes from your book. Okay. So the first one is work sprints. Oh, work sprints. So a big thing to me is when you set a timer, you got those one hour blocks, set a timer and you know, then you go, okay, I've got one hour to work on this blog. Cause all of a sudden then if you know what happens, somebody gives you a quick call or there's all these things where you go, oh my gosh, I only got 15 minutes left to finish this. I'll deal with that later. Whereas when you don't set the timer or you think I've got all morning to work on this, I'll work really hard. I'll get three blogs done or whatever, but you don't have that tight one hour time frame, and you didn't set the timer that time just bleeds away really quickly. So just being mindful of the beginning and end of that project and being accountable to the time. 
Mm, which goes into the next topic, which maybe you could elaborate is deadlines. Mm -hmm. So that's where I really talk about working backwards again. So too many of us entrepreneurs, what happens is you get a new client, you're super excited and you just dive in and you could be say, for example, you could be a web designer and then that's all you do. And you get this new big client, you're super excited. And of course you're answering their emails the first couple of days. You want them to know that you're all about customer service and they unknowingly become the new priority. And that's going to fade when you get the next new client. And then you go, okay, this is, we know, on average, it takes us about three months to do this. But when they don't work backwards and don't have it on their calendar, you don't know when you're off by three weeks or six weeks. You just then start to get a little pressure from that client. Like, mm -hmm. hey, well, what's happening at this point now? We thought we'd hear, oh, you know, okay, great. Then they become the new priority again. So without working backwards, you're just really juggling who's annoyed at you. And you have no clarity on when you become more and more efficient in your process, even if it's the one thing you're always delivering. I mean, it goes, stands to reason that we have deadlines in so many parts of our lives, but for whatever reason, when it's something more personal too, we avoid the deadline, right? We're not, we are hard on ourselves, but we give ourselves too much freedom. So it makes it very, very challenging if you don't have those deadlines. What about routines? Yeah, routines are helpful and we want them to be healthy and happy routines, right? So to me, a routine is, okay, I work out every morning, I do this, I do that. But you have to be careful when you throw the routine word around because <laughs> my routine the first couple of years was just to get up, <laughs> get up on the weekend. Sometimes I would sneak out of bed. It was, it was really crazy. I'll tell you how crazy it was. There was times where I couldn't sleep in the middle of the night because I was all hopped up and just adrenaline crazy because I was working so many hours. So the more you work, the less you can sleep. And then I would not be able to sleep in the middle of the night. And I think, well, I'm just laying here wasting time. So I'll get up and do some work. So there I am two hours in the middle of the night doing work, which my husband would say, you don't fall back asleep when you're sitting up in front of a, a brightly lit screen, you ding dong. So I thought this was a plan of not wasting time. Anyhow, it got to the point where he said, that's it. No more getting out of bed in the middle of the night. This is insane. So if he got up to use the bathroom in the middle of the night, he would check my feet because he could tell if my feet were cold, I'd been out of bed. So I was getting audited, <laughs> right? <laughs> this, is, this is nuts. This is the life I lived. I'm not telling you I was crazy, right? I'm not kidding. So what happens is, you know, then I would like, uh, my routine was on Sundays, I would sneak out of bed if he was sleeping. And I would just quietly pull like sweats over my pajamas and go downstairs and try to get a couple hours work done before the house woke up. Like, because I was like an addict, always trying to steal time, right? And it was kind of funny because one time I was doing training videos. So I was doing a slideshow. So I wasn't on it. But here it is like, you know, six o'clock in the morning, Sunday, I'm trying to get this done. My hair standing straight up. I haven't brushed my teeth. It's not a pretty sight. And he's like, I heard you downstairs. What are you doing? You're working again. I said, I was just trying to get this one video done for whatever. And he's like, babe, babe, don't you think you should have just tidied up a bit before you did videos? <laughs> because he thought I was on camera, right? It's like, I really think you, he didn't know I could just do audio in a slideshow. He's like, oh, I really think you should have <laughs> cleaned up a little bit. <laughs> so that was a routine, but it wasn't a good one. So be mindful of what the word routine means to you. Yeah. And it's so funny too, because you're a Russiaholic addicted to stealing time. Yeah. And one of the ways that I think you can help avoid that, and I asked you at the top of our conversation here, what was the biggest takeaway you had from the e-myth? And you, you shared something that I, I really loved. And the other thing that I'll add to that and the thing that probably stands out the most, and like you, it's been a while since I've read it. It really comes down to systems. 
Yeah. If you look at McDonald's or if you look yeah. at any big company, they survive. Yes, they have the right people doing the tasks that are going to meet all that, the criteria that you listed out. They have the personality and all those different things, but they also have the systems in place. Yeah. So can you, and you have your super toolkit and maybe yeah. you could give us a, a sneak behind the curtain there on what that includes, you know, anything that you haven't mentioned yet, but also what other systems, I know you use Basecamp, for example, or other systems or tools do you use and why are they so dang important? My God, I think you must work here. I don't know how some of the stuff you know, but anyhow, so there's things that you're like, how does he know that? Because often right now, ClickUp is really popular. So most people assume you use that. So the super toolkits, what's really big about that is, again, they're always about compressing time, right? And so what we call it is we queue them, create, use, and edit them. And then the other thing about the super toolkits where most people go wrong too when they're creating systems is... They wait till they are experienced something or learn something and then say, okay, we've got all the steps. So one of the things I also encourage you to do is start building your systems, your super toolkits right from the beginning. So for example, when I hopped on TikTok, you know, day one, the first day I was there, we were building out a super toolkit on what do we do on TikTok so that each day I'm not relearning this. Oh, right, right, right. TikTok's different than Instagram when you do it this way. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did that yesterday. And so often you think you have to learn something and then write this official dry manual, which often gets confused with the training manual and there's too much information in there. But people compliment me on when I, again, have an idea how quickly I'm able to get it to execution. But we build that super toolkit every single day we're tweaking it. Now, it's not time consuming. It takes two seconds because we're looking at it, using it, going, okay, great. Oh, now there's, you know, as it evolves, as my participation in that project evolves, that information becomes refreshed and constantly current. Also, so that anybody else in the team, what will happen is sometimes you can take a unit and say, oh, you know what? The social media manager doesn't now need to do this. The project manager can. It'll be quicker if she does it. Boom. Then we just change that category of who's the job title at the beginning of that super toolkit. So you can easily transfer information. We had somebody on our team last Christmas, two weeks before Christmas with all the craziness in the world. She lived in the Philippines, found out she had two weeks notice that she's moving to Canada to go to college because she'd applied like a year before and everything had been put on hold with all what was going on. And so we found out two weeks before Christmas that we were losing a key player. Also, I had just been asked to do a big speaking gig, like a four hour thing because somebody had pulled out and they're like, can you do this? And it had to be very customized. I hired somebody, Mora, and Kazel trained her with the super toolkits. I hired her. I did not have time to meet with her to January 5th. When I met with her, she was up to 80% capacity. And I had nothing to do with it because <laughs> all those super toolkits were just transferred. And mm. she had some skill set. It's like a carpenter. If I'm going to make tables or if, if my company makes kitchen tables, you know what? You have to have some carpentry skills but you just need to know what our measurements are and how we process our table. I'm not going to train you how to use a saw, right? But mm. more was up to 80% capacity and at Christmas time, me with that big speaking gig, Kazel left. It did not inconvenience us whatsoever. Yeah, and you could refine the super toolkit over time mm -hmm. and continue to make the improvements. How does a super toolkit differ from say, an SOP, standard operating procedure? Are there similarities? Are there nuances that make it different? Usually SOPs are static in nature. They're dry. They usually have too much information. They're usually there to cover liability. So I think what they constantly do is have too much information that you have to digest. So you slow the reader down and you use up brain power to follow them. And 
So what you want is a super toolkit that expedites your work not slow you down using up brain power. Because what happens then is people start skipping steps. Oh yeah, I know how to do that. That was a training thing. I know. And then they, what you're training them to do is to disregard the process and it doesn't become useful, right? And then you're running a business on memory, which never works because no business is run on memory. So the super toolkit, you know, what was really big there too is anyone can tweak it and we're constantly tweaking it going, Oh, Hey, we can do this quicker now. And it just, it's this beautiful breathing document that gets you just to A to Z so much quicker. And Mm. that's one of the biggest difference. I think that's so valuable too, because we are, we get so much information just through life, right? There's so much noise happening. It's kind of endless at this point. And humans are not designed to take on the volume of noise and information that we're getting in today's day and age. We're just not. If you look at historically, the amount of information we're getting today versus even just 20 years ago, let alone hundreds of years ago, is exponentially different. And if we try to give so much information about a process or an approach to doing something, we're going to inevitably tune certain parts of it out and it may be the most important part. So if you streamline it, make it really easy, I think it helps the end result. So in a minute, I'm going to get your final thought, which will be anything that maybe you haven't shared or maybe something that you shared that you think we want to double down on. Before we do, there's a few things that I'd love for you all to check out, which is go to, there's a free masterclass as well as some gifts from Chris. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's free gift from Chris. That's K-R-I-S.com. Yeah. Got that right? Yeah. And then of course- Yep. Free gift from Chris.com. And again, it's K-R-I-S.com. And I want you to tell us a little bit about that in a moment. We also have win the hour, win the day. So you could go to that as well. Win the hour, win the day.com. Check out the book. It's also the podcast. So you can get so much more of this valuable information. And then of course, on all the social LinkedIn, Chris Ward, stop working so hard at LinkedIn. And then TikTok, Chris Ward XX. And then Facebook, we have chrisward.ca and then Twitter, Chris Ward Live. And so I want to just circle back. What else, in addition to those things, and if there's any corrections to those things, would love to know what those are, but where else can people find some value to help them on their own journey to master their own time? I think you covered it very well. <laughs> in the free gift from chris.com, there are a couple really special things in there. One that won't be up there very long, but it's for your listeners and it's a free audio version of my book. So you might want to grab that fast. The other thing is we have this new, amazing, customized win back time quiz, and it gives you instant customized results. It takes like two minutes and it really gives you some resources right away and asks you some very simple questions that you might think, oh, what has this got to do with anything? But it will change your perspective on stuff. And I think stuff being a technical business word, write that down. And I think what's really powerful too, to tie up one of the last things you said about the super toolkit. One of the other things too, Billy, that really help with that is because everyone is leaning towards the super toolkit. We all look at that. We're always using that as our information, like check, check, check. We did this. Boom, boom, boom. Is a business is not run a memory, but B, when there is a hiccup, we all go to the super toolkit and change the super toolkit. So not only do we have instant 
we can turn on a dime and we can instantly build our own success and our proven steps. But more than anything, the team, no one's defensive, no one's scared, no one's blaming. She did this. I did this. It's all, oh, well, what does super toolkits? Oh, well, no wonder we missed that. That's confusing. Let's change it. So it mm. really creates some leadership with the team and it just makes it more cohesive. And that's another one of its superpowers. I love that. So as we wind down here, we've covered a lot of ground. We've talked about the importance of understanding our energy level and really focusing on those first few hours of the day, especially to do that high focus work. We talk about some of the misconceptions and the myths associated with time management. We talked about how to build a team and how important it is to find the right people because you could train the right people. And you gave us a really good framework to do that. We also talked extensively about the power of systems and the power of the tools and the super toolkit and so much more. At the end of the day, we only have so many minutes to use. And when they're expired, we don't get to get, they don't come back. They're just gone. The reason why I wanted to have you on is because this is what will help you do whatever it is you want to achieve in life. If you want to change the world, if you have an audacious goal to do something so impactful that the world will be different because you're here, you have to understand how to leverage your time. So Chris, would love it if you could bring us home with a final thought, anything that would help tie this up in a bow or anything else that would be valuable. It's all yours. To me, this is my mantra and it just matters so much. I know I've said it already, but you really do want to write it down and remember it because you forget it so quickly. Business should support your life, not consume it. Mm. Love it. Love it. Well, Chris Ward, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure and I wish you nothing but the best and I appreciate all of your wisdom that you've imparted. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Billy. I get a lot. I've done a lot of interviews and I have to say you are talented behind the mic and you really do your homework. So you're, you rock it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.